Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me. I'm really glad to share today with you, this time with you. Um, At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. And I want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so you can always get the next episode. So let's turn our attention to this week's message. And can you believe we're already in the last week of January? Can't believe it. The year is already one twelfth over. Who, Who would have imagined that already? Well, speaking of a new year, here's a story that has to do with the new year. On New Year's Eve at London's Garrick Club, British dramatist Frederick Lonsdale was asked by Seymour Hicks to reconcile with a fellow member. The two had quarreled in the past and never restored their friendship. You must, Hicks said to Lonsdale, it is very unkind to be unfriendly at such a time. Go over and wish him a happy new year. So Lonsdale crossed the room and spoke to his enemy. I wish you a happy new year, he said, but only one. I'm not sure that's quite what was intended there. Only one more new year. Hmm. One of the greatest challenges we face is to forgive and reconcile with people we are angry with. Jesus has commanded us to love your enemy. But often we think of our enemies as a faithless person who disagrees with us. But most of the time, our deepest conflicts are with those who are supposed to be closest to us, our family, our friends, those we trust. And they are the last people who should be our enemies, and yet sometimes something happens, and we feel they are. That sort of pain runs deep, and it's hard to work through. I'm here to begin a series with you about forgiveness. And I'm going to say this, you need forgiveness. It is essential to life. Without forgiveness, the past becomes your master, bitterness will devour your life, and lastly, outrage and revenge will become your default. Our text today is one that we'll revisit over the next few weeks as we talk about forgiveness. It teaches much about a forgiveless life. And it teaches a lot about the power of forgiveness. It is an uncomfortable story. Indeed, if you take this story we're about to read very seriously, it should terrify you. It exposes the human default on forgiveness, which is to selfishly accept forgiveness, but not to give forgiveness to others. I want to emphasize as much as possible that this parable highlights our normal human response to forgiveness. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, and it begins like this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 
At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow, what a story. It's not hard to follow. We're meant to see the servant's weight of debt and the benevolent forgiveness by the king. We're also meant to see the injustice of the servant unwilling to forgive a much smaller debt to one of his co-workers, co-servants. It's not hard when you really look at the story to see that the king represents God and that we are to be the servant, needing forgiveness and needing to forgive others. But even though we're to see that, it is pretty hard to put yourself in the shoes of that unforgiving servant. To ask yourself if you receive and, yes, struggle to grant forgiveness as much as he did. So we're going to talk about forgiveness and forgiveness over the next couple of weeks. And that stories we're going to revisit. And I'll just say up front, I'm borrowing a lot from Timothy Keller's book on forgiveness. He says a lot of powerful things. And one thing he highlights very early in that book is, is that forgiveness is falling out of favor in our culture. More and more forgiveness is going out of style. We could even go far so far as to say forgiveness is seen as immoral. Society often says forgiveness lets the perpetrators, the wrongdoers, off the hook instead of getting justice. More and more our culture values outrage and grievance over forgiveness. We need forgiveness, but not any forgiveness will do. Because when our society, society blah, when our society finally promotes forgiveness, it promotes a cheap copy, cheap forgiveness, feel-good forgiveness. Forgiveness that means no one has to think about the ugly conflict. It is quick and asks very little of the one being forgiven or the one offering forgiveness. But biblical forgiveness is full of grace and full of justice. It is costly, especially to the one who gives forgiveness. For our part, when we give biblical forgiveness, it also costs time. It takes time. 
In our story, Jesus mentions a debt of 10,000 bags of gold. Really, behind that phrase, 10,000 bags of gold, is the Greek word talent, 10,000 talents. And a talent was the largest monetary term in the Roman Empire. A talent equaled a year's wages. And so the parable really reads that a servant owed the king 10,000 years of wages. That's a big debt. It's almost comical when the servant says, oh, I'll pay it back to you. Just give me some time. Yeah, 10,000 years worth of wages. Who can do that? So when we read 10,000 bags of talents or bags of gold, we are meant to think more than can ever be paid back. An infinite amount of debt might be a more uh, accurate phrase. And if you want to work out the math, which you can do, it amounts to about $400 billion. I mentioned earlier that forgiveness is costly to the forgiver, and 10,000 talents... $400 billion is a large enough amount of money to jeopardize a kingdom. We seldom think of the cost of forgiveness. And some might argue that the kingdom of heaven was never really in jeopardy to forgive such a debt or the debt of our sin. But I'm not sure that we should discount the cost of the Son of God laying down his life to purchase our forgiveness. It's precious. It jeopardized everything. That's how important we are to Jesus. St. Clement of Alexandria writes, For the sake of each of us, he laid down his life, worth no less than the universe. He demands of us in return our lives for the sake of each other. Forgiveness that costly must be important. And so I want you to hear today that you are designed to receive and to give forgiveness. In this story, there are two chief avenues for forgiveness to travel on. The servant receives forgiveness from the king, and the servant also has the opportunity to give forgiveness to his fellow servant. Most terrifyingly, when the servant fails to give forgiveness, he loses the king's forgiveness. Yeah, forgiveness can be put in jeopardy. And we are to read in that, and I want to be real careful about this, but we need to see it, our soul can be put in jeopardy. The story even ends with Jesus speaking a word that most of us just skip over. It's really uncomfortable. So I think a lot of us go, I'm going to move on, where it says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Did you catch that? Jesus is saying, you must be able to show forgiveness to others the way the master has shown you forgiveness to be able to truly receive that forgiveness from the master, or at least to keep it, to show that it's at work in your life. It's not the only place in the New Testament that Jesus says something like this. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, it's just after the Lord's Prayer. That's a pretty important passage, right? And just after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
Ouch, that's another passage we just kind of skip over and don't try to think too hard about because uh, what does that mean? Can we lose our our forgiveness if we don't forgive others? Uh, It's not quite that, but there's a warning about our ability. If we fail to embrace forgiveness, we're going to struggle to receive forgiveness. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your heavenly Father, your Father in heaven, may forgive you your sins. My goodness. Three times we have Jesus himself saying, you've got to forgive others if you're going to have God forgive you. There's a connection. We are designed to receive and to give forgiveness. Both are necessary. You cannot be a person who wholly, who you cannot be a person who only receives forgiveness. You must be able to give it. If you can only receive it, you're not understanding what forgiveness is. You're not understanding how it works. You're not understanding its power. And there's a problem. Secondly, God's forgiveness teaches us how to forgive others. There is a direct connection. His forgiveness models the cost, the frankness, the compassion, and the restoration that real forgiveness has. Colossians 3.13, it's sort of similar to those other passages, but it begins to show us that because we receive God's forgiveness, we must give it to others. We will know how to give it to others. God's forgiveness should teach us and change us and transform us into be able to forgive others. Colossians 3.13 says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, I will say this helps us with some clarification. It says our ability to forgive others has to come from God's forgiveness of ourselves, what we, what we have received. And thirdly, and this is where I take a lot of relief in our story, the king gives his forgiveness to the servant first. And it's only after he forgives the servant that he expects the servant to forgive others. That's important. The king knows that his forgiveness should transform the servant. Why do I find that a relief? It tells me that God's forgiveness is always available to you and to me. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. Praise the Lord for that. But the lesson is is that once forgiveness is received, a new work should happen inside of us. We should be transformed. We should be changed. We should begin to be able to pour that forgiveness out of our lives into others. And that's where the story shows us the problem. The king forgives his servant. Then the servant tries to choke someone in debt to himself. Then the man asks, when that servant asks for mercy, his response is, no, I'm not going to give you mercy. I'm going to throw you in prison. And so we should raise the question. Does that servant who was forgiven by the king seem like a changed man? Does it look like he's grown? I would argue that he has not yet tasted grace. He's tried, but he's still just tasting his own selfishness. Forgiveness must be received and it must be given. 
That does not seem to be optional by Jesus' own words. I don't know that I can fully explain it. I know that there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It's freely given. But there is something expected of us once we are forgiven and redeemed by Christ. That is that we are to be a transformed and changed people. And so, something happens when you receive forgiveness. You are expected to be able to forgive others. And when you can't, that is a moment where you need to get on your knees and say, God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, do a new work in me. I have got to get this figured out. I need to learn how to forgive others. But why on earth do we need forgiveness? Forgiveness, it answers our deepest need. What is it that you need right now in life? And you probably have all kinds of answers, those of you who are listening. You probably got a conflict with a person. We've been talking about forgiving others. So maybe you're thinking about someone that you're going, I should forgive that person. I don't want to forgive that person, whatever it is. That conflict is not the deepest need. Forgiveness is. Forgiveness answers our deepest need. Timothy Keller points it out when he talks about forgiveness. He goes to the story of the man who was paralyzed and had four friends who brought him to Jesus and lowered him through the roof. And when Jesus finally is, uh, when that man's finally in front of Jesus and Jesus looks at him and, and wants to solve his problem, what he says is not what we all expect. It's there in Mark 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 5, he says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's almost certain that that man laying there on the mat before Jesus, paralyzed, thought that his problem was that he couldn't walk. If he could just walk like everybody else, his problems would go away. I'm sure he thought that day in and day out. And yet Jesus knew that his deeper need was for forgiveness of his sins. We all have a list of problems. If I could just get a better job, if I could get out of debt, if I could get my health back, if I could escape this loneliness, if I could have a better relationship with my spouse or my coworkers or my parents or my kids, if someone just loved me or whatever the thing is you're worried about, we all think if I could just fix that, I'd be happy, but that's not really our deepest need. The list can go on on and on and the they are all needs, but they are not the deepest need. Forgiveness answers our deepest need. Timothy Keller writes in his book on forgiveness, forgiveness gets to the bottom of things, to the alienation we feel from God and from ourselves because of our wrongdoing, our sin. Forgiveness, to say it very plainly, is the only answer to the debt of sin. That's why we need it. Secondly, I'd say forgiveness is a key to the holy. As I've mentioned several times already this year, our theme is going to be wrapped around the word holy. The holy presence of God and the holiness that should be at work in our lives. And forgiveness is the key to unlocking the holy. No one can enter into God's holy presence without forgiveness. And we have no hope to grow holy without receiving forgiveness and without giving forgiveness. To say it very directly, the practice of forgiveness is essential to holiness. In fact, I don't know that you could ever look at a person or yourself or, or, well, just let's go with any person who is bitter and unwilling to forgive and say, that's a holy person. You have to be able to forgive 
and have forgiveness in your life to have that key to unlock holiness and access the holy presence of God. And the third thing I'd say about forgiveness, why we need it, is that forgiveness releases us from prison. We've already mentioned the problem of sin. That's the biggest prison any of us are in. And forgiveness releases us from that. But Jesus' parable mentions prison several times. And ultimately, the unforgiving servant at the end is thrown into prison. But he's in a sort of prison from the very beginning of the story. Certainly, he is in a prison of debt. I'm sure he lived in fear of the day the king would call to collect his debt. And the servant is in a prison of selfishness. He's only concerned about his own skin all through the whole story. And he's in a prison of cruelty. Instead of seeing the other man as a person worth forgiving, he only sees his own problems. Even chokes the man. How terrible is that? Timothy Keller writes this, Spiritually speaking, to not forgive somebody is to put yourself in a kind of jail. The self-centeredness that grows when you stay angry at somebody, when you hold things against them, as if they're liable to you and they owe you, is a prison. I mentioned earlier that you need forgiveness. It's essential to life. And I would remind you that without forgiveness, the past becomes your master. Bitterness will devour your life. And lastly, outrage and revenge will become your default. A life without forgiveness truly grows into those three things where the past is your master, bitterness devours you, and outrage and revenge become your default response to everything. A life of anger is no life. A life trapped in the past is no life. A life eaten by bitterness is no life. A life that is only outraged and vengeful or revengeful, it gives no life and it makes no life. And if that's you, you know the prison of that sort of living. If you've met a person like this, I think you can see the prison of misery that they're trapped in. Henry Nouwen writes these words, As long as we do not forgive those who have wounded us, we carry them with us, or worse, pull them as a heavy load. The great temptation is to cling in anger to our enemies and then define ourselves as being offended and wounded by them. Forgiveness, therefore, liberates not only the other, but also ourselves. It is the way to freedom of the children of God. So, Jesus and his story of the parable of the unmerciful servant shows us the human default is to not forgive. That's where you're going to find yourself unless you let the king intervene. Fortunately, God specializes in forgiveness. He offers it freely to you. And he also invites you to become his disciple, to learn the way of forgiveness. And I want to challenge you today. If you find yourself imprisoned and embittered by unforgiveness, by living a forgiveless life, to seek out God, to seek his face and seek his forgiveness from your sins and for living a forgiveless life. 
in the coming weeks, we'll examine biblical forgiveness and what it asks of us. But for now, I invite you simply to say yes to God's forgiveness. Say yes to King Jesus. Say yes to him being Lord over your life. And that will mean that you cannot let unforgiveness rule over your life anymore. It's time to forgive others. Let's pray. Lord, we are not creatures who easily forgive. And it's my prayer that each one of us would clearly see the depth of your forgiveness for us. And that by that forgiveness, we each would become a community of forgivers. Lord, set us free from the prison of unforgiveness. Lord, I know there are those here who are listening who, who they're deeply hurt and their wounds are very real. They didn't do anything wrong, but they are carrying a burden. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would begin a new work in them. Show them how important they are to you. Show them how to no longer be a prisoner to those wounds. They could feel the liberation of forgiveness. And thank you for Jesus, the ultimate forgiveness that comes through him that he purchased for us on the, on the cross. Help us to see that each day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.